Shafee. Uh, are you are you there, Shafee? Well, I've been recording for the last night. We we had we had ordered a pizza and we're gonna do a podcast. And he gets us the call that oh this thing might go down and then the pizza gets from gold. Oh, did you see that? Every time I start talking bullshit, we score. That's just talking bullshit. Pollen is slowly settling through the atmosphere down onto the patio in the backyard on the back porch, Matthew's home in way, way north Austin, not, not way north Austin, north central Austin, northwest central Austin, Hill Country, Texas, you know where it is, you know where it is, I'm going to need to say this every week, maybe talking about, I don't remember. Oh, yeah, talking about it. episode 149 of One Magical Hour, a Matthew and Schaefer podcast spectacular. In said episode, we will feature song parodies. We will feature allergy talk because we're old. We'll uh, talk about some things that Dr. Grant Hall got at us about. And we'll give a shout out to maybe some new listeners. We'll have some fun with words. We'll have some minutia from the Matthew. And we'll have lots more. You know, we'll have a poem, don't you? We'll finally follow up on something that we said we were going to research a few uh, few episodes ago. Believe it or not, it actually happened. I'm excited about it. Going to be uh, some hard-hitting uh, editorial opinions on the show today, I think. But uh, without giving too much more away, let me welcome my good friend. He's a friend of the Shoeless Piper. He is uh, a famous children's folk rock singer from the Tarzana, California, the greater Tarzana, Topanga, California region. Uh, he's a Martinique Mystiker and a Montserrat Mistaker. He's Matthew Mampy. They got a name for the casters in the world. I want a name like cheap booze. They call Texas Longhorns the burnt orange. Call it Podcast Blues. Podcast Blues. The Dan. Surely I've done okay. it. Surely oh, yeah, I've yeah, done yeah, the yeah, Dan yeah. before, right? You've never done the Dan before. I've never done the Dan before. I don't think you've that ever done the Dan. That seems unlikely as how much I dearly love the I mean, Dan. I can't prove to you 100% that you haven't done the Dan or have done the Dan. But it does, none of, my memory, nothing springs to mind. Nothing springs to mind. I thought about that when we were. Well, you just did Deacon Blues. What other Dan song would you have done? Um, I see your podcast. Oh wait, we did. Are you casting through I in keep, the? I keep it with stuff I don't listen to. Do, do, do. We did. Are you casting through the years? Oh, you did that. I did it. You've done. I've the done the Dan. <laughs> Thinking you did the Dan. It's funny that I didn't first remember that. I mean, I've only done a few parodies. You'd think you know, I that song, "Reeling in the Years," I associate more with Bill Clinton I do, than I, than the Dan. I always, I always wonder, forget like, it's a Dan. I know song. it's the Dan, but I always think maybe it's who sang, who sang, "Gone up the country, got you get away." Um, I don't know who that is. Is that uh, Crosby, Stills, and Nash? No, I, I don't know. I don't know. Okay, get you know, at like, us. I think I get them confused with the Dan sometimes, mm. which I know like that's gonna have some that seems... some classic rock aficionados out there <laughs> hitting the roof right now. <laughs> Let me tell you. I hope to God <laughs> that some classic rock aficionados are listening to this program. So speaking of parodies, last week last week, what does that mean? Uh, especially to somebody who's like just just listened to our podcast last week. Somebody who's binging the on episode one forty eight. Just listened to twenty casts in a row. In a row. Can you imagine? <laughs> on episode one forty eight, I did a Beatles parody, and then Her Majesty the Queen died. Do you think that's a coincidence? I think it's it's either your fault or the fact that she was two hundred years old, Matthew. It was one of those. She was queen. 
two years before my mother was born. Right. Put it that way. Right. Like, it's pretty mind-blowing that there's only been one monarch in England in my lifetime. But then, and granted, you know, my my mom's not much older than me. She had a young age. She's a young lady. Okay. But still. Yeah, it's a long time. Mom, you know, there could be like, you know, there could be two more generations if, if I had been a little, if I had been more on the ball, you know. Right. That we're all, uh, that'd be four Are generations. you saying if you were a grandpa? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mom was a great grandpa. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, wow. Yeah. She'd been around for a long time. My my dad's listening. He's like, thank God I'm not a great grandpa. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> no, uh, maybe not. Maybe now he wish, just wishes that there were a bunch more. Bunch well, more when you think about. running around. When you think about your own. Uh, when you, when you think about your genes going into the world, and it's like, I don't know, I don't fear death as much because it feels like there's a piece of me out there. <laughs> you know, if you if you look at consciousness as like a thing you tap into, and not like an individual thing that you have, like a part of a whole thing. When I see my kids, I'm like, well, maybe they'll have kids, and, and then they're like, I'm afraid of dying, and I'm like, well, don't, don't be afraid of dying because you'll go on. I don't fear death because I was watching a documentary today on geology in Italy and the building of the Alps, and I realized that human beings are a tiny little sneeze oh, right. in the universe. Yeah, history. that helps. That always helps me too. Like, to think about nothing matters. Orders shit. to think about orders of magnitude in time and space. <laughs> It helps me feel like a tiny speck of sand, <laughs> just a speck of dust. Oh, Horton hears you're a, so smart. Horton you? hears a who, and I'm sm- I'm the who, <laughs> but he, and he can't even really see the who. <laughs> I love it though. I love thinking about that. It's and but not everybody finds solace in that same egolessness. And when I realized that the essential building blocks of those mountains are also the essential building blocks of me. Then, like, you know, then I become, I become, you're part of it. Yeah. I become eternal. Yeah. And that's amazing feeling. Yes. I remember when I was a young man and I had this image of myself, my body returning to the earth, the nourishing the ground, the worms eating it, like your energy just goes back into the system. Yeah. And when we lament um, the death, you know, of our friends and loved ones, we're really lamenting our own loneliness because they don't give a shit. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's it's hard when somebody who's been around for a long time, like anytime the majesty. world changes, man. If I just like get a different job, I get emotional about it. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anytime the world changes, we get emotional. It's just once again, once you like look through that other. Turn around that lens, and all of a sudden you're like, "Whoa!" Yeah, yeah. Uh, you were talking about fall allergy. You know what? A minute ago, our the cast got really slow, and like I thought, "Oh, this is going to be the worst cast ever." And then we went into this other kind of topic related to it, and it, it brought me back in. Nice episode one forty nine. Okay, let's go. I've got allergies. Uh, Matthew gave himself COVID this afternoon. Oh yeah, yeah. I um, I got the, I got the variant-specific booster this afternoon, and good for you. All of the vaccines have, I have felt them for sure. I hear people being like, "Oh, it's fine," but I, I didn't I, feel anything. You didn't feel anything. I, the first one was okay. The second one was worse. The third one was close to day off for a moment, like. A chills mm-hmm. and feverish wow. feeling in the night. It was the day of the TBG company Christmas party. So we, we went and got them and then we just sort of went about our business and we went to the party. This is going to be a lot like right now. We went to the party and just had a good time. And then when we came home, it like came on both of us. And for the next four hours, we were trying to sleep, but we were, it was very fitful from just like feeling terribly rough and it each one also has made my arms so 
bloody sore. I sometimes get a little soreness in the arm from oh, it, but that's really good. the extent of so it. So today me. I got the flu shot on the right, mm-hmm. and I got the I got the COVID booster on the left because this past weekend, so softball and baseball are in full swing, mm-hmm. and this past weekend, like it's all started, and on Saturday. The kids wanted some batting practice. They wanted to go to the batting cages, but I've never been to the batting cages. It's like up in Cedar Park, and mm-hmm. I don't know what the deal is. And we'll, we're going to explore that. But I was like, let's just go to the cage at the fields, yeah. and I'll throw, I'll throw to you. And then, you know, Isabel's doing softball, but I was like, Bell, I can't underhand it. I'm just going to overhand throw to you. Meatballs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I had the little L shaped <clears throat> screen. And I'm standing behind that, and I'm. It, it's the full distance too. Like I saw somebody else working with a kid. I'll make your arm sore, won't you I? can come up close yeah. and just toss it to for people to get batting practice. You don't have to like throw yeah. from the length of the mound. Yeah, so you stand off to the side. We've got fi- we've got right five here. baseballs and five softballs because I'm a cheap dad, <laughs> and and they get lost. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure I got like eighty or ninety Base, pitches in. Softball get pricey quickly, don't they? It's a lot of gear. It's not like soccer. Either. Griffin was saying that. He's like, oh, it's a lot of gear. And to play soccer or basketball is like so much less gear. And yeah. Like, yeah. But we've turned soccer into an elitist sport in this country. But that's a total other topic. I'm <laughs> saving that for 150. Um, anyway, I, I, there was that. And then the next day, Isabel had practice. And Griffin and I were just out there. And he likes to get as far away from me as possible. Or as he wants to see how far he can throw. So yeah. we like we warmed up with a football until we were tired. We went and sat in the stands and watched Isabel's practice for a minute. Mm-hmm. Got back out in the field and started throwing the the baseball. And I'm pretty sure he can throw it farther than I, my <laughs> eight-year-old. Like he was hitting me up here in the glove, and I, I all my, I was doing a hope, a crow hop, and all my strength, and I could barely get it to him from where he was throwing. I found like it's with the football. Like we used to love my brother and I would get out and if I throw a football like two times, my arm is shot for the rest so, of the day. <laughs> so on my, Monday and what's today? Today's Tuesday. I, I've already been. Yesterday I was hilariously sore from the weekend. <laughs> And then I go to get these inoculations today. And I'm not talking like Aaron Rodgers. I'm talking for real. Uh, she said, which, you know, I was like, do, do they need to be in the same arm? And she was like, oh, I can do either arm. And so I put the flu in my right arm and the COVID in my left. And wise move because my left is hurting right yeah. now. So anyway, that's going on. That's that's part of this podcast, whether you like it or not. And that's the robot. The robot's part of this podcast, whether you like it or not, too. But hey, not some people, you. some do, some don't. Do, or do some people like the robot and some I, don't? I mean, I I haven't heard any feedback about it since like since the very Alex, beginning. Since Alex you know. went gaga over it. Well, Alex loved it. Uh, Ellen was. Uh, vocally against it. Oh, she was against it. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh-huh. And that was it. Well, I so, think 50, 50, as, we've, as we've talked about, I don't either publicly or privately, I think I've learned to use it more yeah, judiciously. Yeah, so, yeah. Here. And, it, and to me, when I'm listening, it gives that little bit of like podcasty richness. Yeah. Of, you know, a podcast always has these little like little, uh, plinky, little sound spackle. Plinky, plinky yeah. interludes. So get at us on. Tell us how you feel about the uh, about the robot these days. Here is a segment I've been waiting for. Grant Hall gets at us. He got at us, indeed. Okay, and we didn't talk about this in one forty eight. Is that correct? We had we had moved this. Sorry, Doctor Hall. Sorry, we had to push it back for some Pacific Northwest Pacific Coast mystic. Yeah, we had to get mystic with her. Uh, oh, and Dad asked, uh, Dad, you know, you, you know, you said that you know that it was a fun episode. Obviously, it certainly was. Dad asked who who Gabby is. So he's I, not a completionist. I, he is a completionist, but he hasn't. I don't think he's. Oh well, maybe we should. Every time we talk to her, we should say the the episodes that she's featured in. Yeah, Dad, Gabby was a friend of mine from back in New York. Great friend who. We talk about our meeting was kind of hilarious. We met at a crazy bar in downtown Manhattan with Lucas and I. And she was there with her friend Kate, Kate Ball. And uh, 
it was a really funny just afternoon drinking afternoon whiskey with Lily the bartender at the Patriot. The Patriot was the bar owned by the guy who owned and operated the Village Idiot, which was like oh, a legendary right. like Well, it's legendary on this podcast. Oh yeah. The, we've, we've, <laughs> talk, we've talked about it here. We had a drop from a story from it. That's right. Just that's recently. Right. <laughs> Uh, so I'll, uh, I'll, I'll find where, uh, what, what the first Gabby episode was, uh, but first, uh, really enjoyed 148. Remind me who is Gabby. Dad says, dad says in the, uh, in the Dr. Pepper commercial, it looked like Olivia Newton-John, the bartender, which that was funny. It's not Olivia Newton-John, but that's a. That's yeah, a hilarious I think, observation. I think she was the poor man's Olivia Newton-John. Yeah. I, I still think that that actor had some small career, and I just can't find who it is. But, like Brian said, <laughs> wait, no. I thought it was Walton Goggins. Thanks to Brian Benitez for correcting me on his name. <laughs> I was Walt. calling him Walter. And I call and I called him water at one point. So thanks, Brian, again for uh, taking care of business. Dad sent us. He's talking about signs of age. One of my favorite songs is Amanda, uh, written by uh, Don Williams, performed by Waylon. He said, "When I was younger, I did not appreciate these lyrics. It's an awful awakening in a country boy's life to look in the mirror in total surprise." At the hair on your shoulders and the age in your eyes. Oof. Until one morning I looked in the mirror, saw hair on my shoulders and age in my eyes. And uh, so he uh, he appreciates us. He hears us. Some, some gray in the beard. I don't see much age in your eyes. I see like you have like one tiny little wrinkle there. My eyes are doing pretty good. I think being overweight helps me. <laughs> <laughs> it is definitely in the eye, around the eyes where you see aging. Jameson has it really bad. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm, try, Sorry, I'm trying. Jameson. Not, I'm trying not He's, to. You're still a very attractive man, Jameson. Don't worry. I see guys with like you know heavy bags on their eyes, and that's tough, right? Oh I, yeah, I, mean, I, d- I definitely have that problem. I remember once I had really bad allergies. My mom was like, "Did you have? Did you get a fight? Do you have a black eye?" I'm like, "No, like I can't. Yeah. You know, my eyes are. You know, yeah." Okay, let's get off this topic because <laughs> I've become aware that the world doesn't fucking care about you aging. <laughs> I, I think I've. I'm, I think I'm a little too aware and sensitive to the ageism in the world and the age gap of lots of people around me. I am starting to interact with so many young people. Also, it's a shitty thing for guys to complain about because guys do oh, fine. Oh, yeah, because I look know, the best they... I've ever looked, essentially. <laughs> I see pictures of me when I was in my 20s and I was like a boy, yeah. you know? I'm so boyish, like Pinocchio just become real. I, it was ridiculous. Um, now, you know, I at least look like a adult human. Dad says, I went from geezer to boy, basically. I was talking about boy to geezer. Dad's truck, Dominga. Yes. Legendary truck. Uh, Legendary Chevy. So he says, you got this. This is really entertaining. Dominga was a 1966 stepside Chevy pickup, six cylinder. You and Shiloh, you being me, you and Shiloh drove me down to Wallace. In the MG. My mom drove an MG, like a little sportster from England. Uh, I bought it from Jimmy Wise, a convenience store owner I got to know while working at Allen's Creek. $50 a month payments until it paid off. So that was, that was owner financed. Uh, super, super old school. Yeah. Oh, man. There she is. Is that, is that it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a great. That's a great. And it was light blue, light blue with the white top. Yeah. Oh, here it is. The light blue with the white top. Oh, look, here's one for sale. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is just a, a 60 to 66 Chevy truck. 
So buyer, that's an amazing yeah. thing. Fifty dollar a month payments, owner financed. It's like the totally different world, you know. Uh, and here's a dazzling detail. Owner financed. And what kind of contract did he sign? No, was, it, was it a no dealer? Contract. Was it's it a dealer like or just a guy? When I it was just a guy. Oh man. This is like when I rented my my garage apartment from Bill and Linda. Like I I didn't sign a lease. I didn't, you know, we talked it over. They kind of liked me. Tara vouched for me and they're like, come on, move in. Well, we got a voucher. You know, here's here's how much here's how much it costs. And I'm like that's the way people used to rent stuff all the time, you know. Before uh, you know what happened? Our litigious society. When the world got real everything. litigious, yeah. yeah. So people like the people started suing people, huh? $50 a month payments until paid off. However, uh, RIP Jimmy was shot by a burglar before he got it paid off. Oh no. Uh, when I bought it, it was dark blue. The light blue paint job was done by Earl Sheeb, Earl Sheeb Scheib in Austin. Oh, so yeah, that's it right there, man. I saw another one. Scroll up. I, I, I'm trying to just get out there. Oh, it's so beautiful. I can't believe I have such a tool. That's like breaks my heart to look at these pictures. Because you could have had this truck? I could have had that truck, yeah. Is this the one? No, scroll up. There, that one. This was the kind of light blue? Yeah. That, like, that could be Domingo for all I know. I would describe that as... And it was... Seafoam green. <laughs> Domingo was a little higher than that. Didn't have the oh, white wall, that, white yeah, wall this, tires. That one's, but that one's dropped. This one's a drop. Domingo didn't have a gun rack. <laughs> yeah, low rider with a gun rack. Oh, this one's. Uh, That's right. It's '66 Chevrolet Stepside. Wow. What do they want for that? Seven grand. This one's in not great shape. But that's exactly the shape that Domingo was in. Honestly. Uh -huh. I remember, like, yeah, that that engine. God, I remember. Yeah, you could fix that engine with a pair of pliers and a and a screwdriver. You know. Now I found a gallery, and I'm just I'm just going from side to side. Shafey's just wallowing. Dad, in. Dad didn't have the uh, the Chevrolet uh, tailgate. Mm. She didn't have a tailgate at all. No tailgate, huh? Yeah. Okay. You know, those you lose those things along the way. Yeah, sure. Oh, well, that's so cool. Thanks yeah. for that walk down memory lane, folks. Old Dominga. And uh Dad recommended a movie called Seven Days in Utopia, which is on Amazon Prime right now. It looks really good. Robert Duval. Okay. Um Seven Days in Utopia. Seven Days in Utopia. And I watched the preview and Robert Duval's character drives around a a Domingue in it. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. That's awesome. I love Robert Duvall. Yeah, me too. I quoted, like one of I, the good ones. I quoted him on a construction site the other day. Yeah. yeah. You well, you know, I was talking to a client about a project and how it was kind of, you know, takes a long time. Construction takes some time sometimes. The clients are, aren't always prepared for that. I said, hey, you ever seen uh, Apocalypse Now? And it was like, yeah, yeah. And I said, yeah, I, I love that scene where uh, where they're surfing the beach and Robert Duvall just kind of kneels down amongst all the chaos and he says, someday this war is going to end. So, you know, this is, uh, this project's a little like that. <laughs> uh, Dad also turned me on to the Everything Austin Reddit page. Oh. Your dad on Reddit is, yeah. is one of the most delightful things I've heard today. Which is, uh, <laughs> I found some entertaining stuff. Did you know that Austin got its first Narcan vending machine? I did hear about that. That is a great... Big step for us. ...gift, an angel gift to all the poor souls out there addicted to opiates and in danger of overdosing. So nice that somebody can just go up and get some Narcan for your for your overdosing ass. Um, uh, here's here's a post about a public masturbator in Silver Park. Oh, oh, okay. Well, it's not on the show sheet, so maybe we shouldn't. My friends and I love to meet up in Zilker 
an hour before sunset and catch up on a blanket under the big tree in Zilker. Twice now, an older white man, approximately 60 to 75 years old, white hair and glasses, put a towel down weirdly close to us, just as the sun was starting to set. <laughs> then he lays flat on his stomach and thrusts the earth between him for five to ten minutes. Look, I'm no prude. I lived in nineteen in the 60 NYC. 60 to 70 years old, huh? <laughs> I've, I've had my fair share of inappropriate... I feel sorry for this person who's like, I'm well experienced with... Um, <laughs> Apparently, and now you just got a red thread of all of the. And it's funny because you know other redditors try to like get their like one-off jokes in. Uh-huh. It. It's just like I mean, that's what's fun about Reddit, right? <laughs> right exactly. Yeah. It's the it's all comments. But none of them are very funny. You know, in the early days of the interwebs, I ventured into Reddit. We're talking like 2002, mm-hmm. 2003, right? And to me, Reddit seemed like a really shady place. And I think was for a very long time, but in the last ten years or so, it has. It's, it's kind of got a little of everything, and if you gotten, if you know how to navigate it, you can actually find some pretty useful information. Well, uh, my searches go there often, so I find myself there. I am not a redditor, I have to say. I cat, I unfairly maybe categorized it as like a massage parlor in a dark alley when I was younger, you know, and I was like, Oh, I don't think I should go there. And so, and so I've pretty much stayed away. So maybe we should shout out to somebody. You know what we could use around here? New listeners. New listeners. Uh, yeah. Our friends, uh, Lakin and Casey. I don't know if Casey's listening or not, but Lakin said that she was going to listen. So welcome. Welcome aboard. The, uh, welcome to One Magical Nation. I uh, hope you enjoy you writing. You know somebody named Lakin? Lakin, yeah. I love that name. It's a cool name. Uh, yeah, she and Casey came in. They're good friends of Manisha's and John Halligan's. Uh, oh. And somehow somehow the cast came up and she should, she expressed a tiny bit of interest. So, of course, I, I heaped so of <laughs> information upon her. And then she was like, no soliciting. <laughs> Thanks for... Uh, <laughs> Thanks for getting on this. She's like, can I train just get like a modified wheels so I can, can I drive just get on a like a brochure track? or a card I mean, or something, and you can contact me truck, later about this truck with modified wheels so I can dri- drive on a train track. Where's the restroom? She's like, okay, <laughs> the... get me away from this guy. <laughs> well, I hope that she hears her shout out. Yeah. Um, you ready so for? We uh... got some. Uh, oh man, we got real segments tonight. Man. I didn't know what to call this. Uh, it's a bit of a bit of very entertaining uh, from some Twitter feed my brother's on well if you don't know what to call it the show sheet says fun with words fun with words I could be just an extension of Yield Wordshop yeah Yield Wordshop yeah yeah this is a Yield Wordshop I have a neologism booster schmooster there is a particular... This is all from an erudite fellow named David Thomas. Uh, Do I say erudite funny? I'll see if I can dig up his uh, Twitter handle for you so you can follow him if you want to. David Thomas. So... Not to be confused with Dave Thomas, the Wendy's guy. There, yeah, different okay, guy. Okay. I think as far as I know, he's a different guy. Okay. could be wrong about okay. that. There's a particular quirk of English grammar that I've always found quite endearing. The ex the exocentric verb noun compound agent noun. Exocentric verb noun compound agent noun. Ooh. All right, so there's a lot to hear. Uh, uh, it, if it appears in a definite, remarkably narrow period, not more than 150 or 200 years before dying out, leaving loads of legacy words in its wake. To explain briefly, agent noun is a noun derived from another word, usually a verb, meaning someone who verbs. For example... To travel becomes traveler. To rule becomes ruler. To direct becomes director. Uh, Middle and modern English agent nouns derived from 
verbs and almost always constructed using the same suffix er from German or or from French. Equivalent suffix in Old English is uh, like a uh, uh, reading, riding to ride becomes ridda, rider, uh, giffen to give, giffer, giver, uh, similar to the er, uh, and you know, it even sounds close to the a in the er. So compound agent nouns are when agent nouns that narrow the sense by specifying an object for the verb. Now you have your to fight fire becomes firefighter. Mm. To say nay becomes naysayer. Ah. And it's, you know, it's flipped around. The, you say it's to like fight. It's like somebody who does that verb a lot to the point that it might be your profession. Yeah. Or and, just your uh, hobby. And it's interesting because it flips it around, right? And you say to fight fire, but the, but it's, the words become flipped around and firefighter. So mm -hmm. that's interesting when we go on because it, uh, the same uh, is true in Old English. The Old English loves compound words. Uh, from Beowulf, you have Giefenbjag, uh, which becomes Beigiefer. That's a ring giver or wealthy lord. Mm. Uh, Frip is to weave peace. Becomes Fripweffer, or peace weaver. That's a hostage bride weaving peace between two <laughs> tribes. Uh it's it sounds so innocuous <laughs> when, the, uh, oh, when you put it that way when the words were formed these while well, these words were formed substantially the same way uh, aside from the shift uh, from a to er between old english and middle english for more than a thousand years there's an odd period where dozens of compound agent nouns flipped the order and lost the suffix so these are exocentric verb noun compound agent nouns they start with a verb, and they don't do that flip around that I pointed out. Okay. So, to pickpocket becomes pickpocket. To spendthrift becomes spendthrift. Oh. To swash a buckler becomes swashbuckler. <laughs> you don't say buckler swasher? No. <laughs> uh, and so the thing is, like, all of these that have that straight transfer and that don't flip the words around, they were all coined between 1550 and 1700. Uh, it's, you see it almost almost never before or after. Uh, and so he and he points out that the really interesting thing is that they all tend to be uh, seedy words. You know, uh, the pickpocket, the swashbuckler, the uh, and then the their other uh, turncoat is a traitor, lickspittle is a toady. Skinflint is a miser. Turnkey is a jailer. Scofflaw is a criminal. You know, uh, lackwit fool. The wear possum is a big scofflaw. Wear possum. He, he <laughs> describes himself as such. Cutthroat or sellsword. So it seems, uh, this is David Thomas speaking now. It seems like over maybe four or five generations, a whole ass grammatical word construction appeared, proliferated, and died out. Uh, and it was used almost wholly for insults and street, street slang. Uh, so precisely because the sort of people who coin insults and street slang tended not to be the sort of people who write books, we don't really know where it came from or why it was seen in such negative terms. Well, can we bring the tradition back and put it into the podcast, which is the modern day version of writing books? Cast Potter? <laughs> <laughs> no, we're the EXO agent. Yeah. Yeah, let's see. Because we're podcasters, right? Oh no, no, it's the former. It's because the casting is caster the of pods. Yeah, yeah. So huh. cast Potter would be the. Uh, I prefer cast Potter. I like we, it too. Can we? I think from now on we're cast Potters. Definitely. <laughs> okay. Can we institute that? <laughs> so I think that we need something to make this podcast a little more obtuse. <laughs> yeah. Can or we start referring ourselves? <laughs> Referring to ourselves as um, Mr. Exo, what was it? Exo something? Yeah. Exo. Exocentric. Exocentric. Okay. Exocentric verb noun compound agent noun. That's what I say. <laughs> That's what I say. Okay. Um, thank you, Dick, and thank you, uh, David Thomas, for the that awesome little thing. And you know, like. I was thinking, you know, there's a lot, like, when you, when you get to, like, slangy stuff, 
um, it makes sense that, you know, kind of what he was saying, like a lot of it doesn't get written down and a lot of it, you know, the, the, uh, guy writing books at Oxford didn't have a need for, uh, didn't, didn't have as much call for creating the words for pickpocket or whatever. So it's interesting that I have a, an old English tradition, you know? Yeah. And, and, but the old English one wasn't necessarily, it didn't have that classist, uh, right. Indication. It was just general. It was in general use. It was use. just taking yeah. words and making yeah. compound for, things. For, for, uh, professions that aren't necessarily questionable or <laughs> like, like cast potting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, that was fun. Let me just um, try to uh, bring the cast down a notch because we're having too much fun. Mm -hmm. Let me just do my minutia. Give us some minutia. Lay it on us. I'm going to do the abbreviated minutia. Because, okay. because essentially the whole thing to this point has also been the minutia, but different minutia. But I'll, let me just catch people up on some things that I had written down here. Sure. I'm wearing my bifocals. Not like every day all the time, but I'm doing it. But it's a weird thing where like, I can see you mm -hmm. right here. Yep. So clearly. But all out here, not only is the frame in the way, but there's all this other sort of weird distortion mm -hmm. because I can see so clearly right here. Can I, can I try them? So that's, that's freaking me out. You're like, holy cow, I can really see. <laughs> no, maybe, you know. It does help with the close-up. You, you know what's so fascinating is that we have the technology. Everybody's eyes go mm -hmm. at some point. And we have this technology to correct. So, listen, I'm not complaining. It's just I, I am getting used to it. Um, the baseball field. Back and forth. Forth and back. Last night, the – oh, were the Arizona Diamondbacks this season? Mm. Our head coach was one of the last – he had one of the last picks on the teams. But <laughs> um, the Diamondbacks took on the Rays last night. The game started at 6.30. We arrived at 6 for warm-up. The game is supposed to go one hour and 40 minutes, and then no no new inning shall begin. Yeah. And at one hour and 38 minutes, we started a new inning. Uh-oh. So we were at that at the fields for, like, almost three hours last night. Like, uh -huh. it was 8.55 <laughs> when we got in the car to come home. Yeah. And, uh, man, that makes for a tough night for a – third grader and for a you know a cad poster of a certain age and, <laughs> i mean a cast a cast potter cad poster, a like. cad poster which is pretty good too um anyways I, I i i think when i'm when i'm coaching baseball and when i'm thinking about baseball i think about alex a lot and his admonitions of like why have you given yourself to this insanity? <laughs> uh, I found my wedding ring. I don't know if you guys knew. Like, uh, but right before I was to leave on a solo trip to Nolens to meet up with some friends, I lost my wedding. I could not find my wedding ring. And I told my wife as I was leaving, I can't find my wedding ring. She was like, it's fine. We'll go. We'll find it. It's no big deal. We have ultimate trust. It's great. Yeah. Um, and then I could not find it, man. And I, we were looking at replacing it. And uh, I played golf. I'm not playing enough golf is the problem. I played golf and I found it in my golf bag. Oh, uh, yeah. So, which all makes sense. Uh, the Cowboys crisis. Oh. Again. <laughs> again. How much. How much pain. How terrible. much pain can one man endure in one lifetime? Do you know what I mean? Fucking Dak Prescott didn't even look like he knew where he was. Well, much less what game he was playing. Well, here's the thing: they have an offensive line problem. A couple uh, of their stars were the already out. Look that Dak and then Prescott. another one, another one went out, and the Tampa Bay defense is terrifying. And but but when Dak got a chance, he would flub his lines. 
And then Dallas has gotten super like thin in the receiver core. Mm-hmm. They don't have yeah. enough wide receivers. Yes, yeah, so can do everything. So he doesn't have all. It's it's ridiculous. But and then he got hurt, and he had surgery yesterday. Did you know that? He did not know that. Yeah, in the fourth quarter, somebody jacked up his thumb, and oh, yeah, so he had thumb surgery yesterday. The prognosis today was good. It may be out only four weeks. They're putting in this lad Cooper Rush, a fellow Ginge. I don't know if you remember him. He had a great game last year on a on a night where they were just resting Dak. Yeah. He beat the Minnesota Vikings at their home. I do remember that. Yeah, um, twenty to sixteen. So I I I I, I, pr- I will probably you fantasy players t- can probably pick up Cooper Rush on your waiver wire right now. Yeah, this is why I don't play fantasy either. Anyway. <laughs> Sad about the Cowboys. And then also the Austin FC were having a high-flying season, and now they've dropped three. Yeah. What's going to happen? I don't know. There's Matthew's Minutia. Boy, I'm glad I tuned in for that, huh? And then lucky noted, noted Arsenal fan, the Queen of England, Arsenal lost, and then she passed away. Is she an actual Arsenal fan? No. <laughs> oh, I saw your uh, – I don't know. I saw your Photoshop. <laughs> is that did you, did you somebody just found that on the internet I, I found at it at yeah. Chafee's bar there's a it's just a printout on a on a eight and a half by eleven black you know white sheet of paper but it's it's the queen wearing an arsenal jersey essentially yeah I found that I found that online and I sent it to Dick and Porter whenever Arsenal wins so I printed it out why why am why is this podcast better when I'm not in top form? <laughs> I feel like every time I arrive in top form, it's like, okay, but anytime I'm sick or I've had a COVID booster. I mean, if that's the case, then it's on me. Or my, gra- or my grandmother's died. It's like, it means this that is the best. I, I coast when I know that you, you know, that oh, when I know that you're a Is that it? Energy. Is that it? You're, oh. it? Must be my fault. Yeah. Shoot. I didn't even think about that. Thanks for, thanks for taking the, thanks for heaping. <laughs> the <laughs> the criticism on your own shoulders. <laughs> I really appreciate that. That's what friends are for. Uh, have you, I ever have I ever parodied that song? Don't don't mind me. I'm just typing. Uh okay, so listen. We've only got a few more things to talk about, but only the most important stuff. Um we talked about the Cola Wars. We yeah. talked. To, we've talked ad nauseum about that Dr Pepper commercial. I mentioned the Crystal Pepsi campaign that featured Van Hagar, and you sent me the YouTube video, <laughs> yeah. and I watched it. And man, I remember when I was this. I was like eighteen when that thing came out, uh-huh. and, but I remember it vividly, and also like my. My high school in Arlington is tinged with Van Hagar. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a, you know, right now, hey, enjoy tomorrow. <laughs> um, you know that's you know the song. <laughs> and it's you sent me the one minute, the full one minute version of it. And you know what really down. you know what really struck me about that clip, man? Was it was a, it's a pretty progressive clip. It's like talking about how like the future is yours. Like we yeah. we we make the change. It's very youth centric and and this equating it to this product that's yeah. revolutionary because it, it turns out you're watching the whole thing through a tank of Crystal Pepsi and you don't even know it until the end. <laughs> and what really struck me about it was how rudimentary the motion graphics were especially the typography it is essentially like it's like it's like saying you are the future and it's putting the words on the screen but like all of it is done in the most like basic typography moves of like really old computer programs and then also the font choice are just like you would look at those fonts now and be like what are you if you if you if you were talking if you were the producer and you were speaking to the fonts guy or the graphic guy, you would be like, are you phoning it in? What is your problem, man? Like, these are the most, they're the dumbest fonts, but they, but maybe there just weren't that many fonts available on I the machines at like, that time. I mean, I think graphic design people are just 
obviously they're most sensitive about the way things look, you know, particularly on the page. Ah, right, right. And that's the fonts change so fast. You can tell, like, you can break down like a decade, like yeah, by yes, the year yes. or two. You can look at a piece of printed material or whatever, and what are the fonts? It's they're so fashionable. There's yeah. like fonts are in vogue. There's like twenty that are everybody's using, and the rest are kind of like either also, passe or they're or they're too experimental. Sorry. Graphic design people will notice this stuff, and the rest of the world will not even. Like, I see. Okay, it will not even register for them. Okay, I found. Well, I'm going to spare the audience us sitting here watching it and, and talking about it. I right? do Only notice because we have one other thing to talk about. Yeah, you do notice what. I do notice it because but that's because it. I've you know published some books and I've had some uh, conversations with some graphic designers. And, yeah, you know what. Then there's what like you're supposed to look like. Like I've also noticed, like from town to town, like Toronto, like on their like on their like business signs, they'll have like very like hippie, like sans serif stuff. You know, like the all lowercase sans serif, like that that's meant to you know meant to show that you're kind of like artistic. And yeah, kind of cool and twee a little bit you know yeah helvetica and uh yeah so from place to place you might see different ones hmm. like that london i think london has a lot of that sans serif stuff too yeah this may be like maybe you'll always see sans serif on uh public works you know subways and stuff i mean you know, unless you're in san france and then it's and then it's like Boart or uh, Art Deco. I can tell you that a, a, a simple rule of thumb is that when you're looking at a sign or anything large printed, mm -hmm. sans serif works. When you're looking at the printed page and the words are small and close together, serifs are good. Interesting. Yeah. But I know what you mean about this sort of modernist use of like, especially like all lowercase or something. Yeah. So yeah, anyway, like man, that. I'm glad I took another look at that Crystal Pepsi commercial. I did regret having that Van Hagar song in my head for a couple of days. <laughs> but right it's also it's just, it's inspiring. It's a little inspiring. I was singing it to my kids and they were like, shut up and podcast. <laughs> um so correction. Everybody's favorite. Everybody's favorite segment. Correcting ourselves. You, sir, mentioned that you had heard that tipping has been equated to a a racist, ha, has a racist past. And I think what we've learned on this podcast is that pretty much everything has a racist past. Um, and I, having been a server and having loved my tips, brushed that aside and, and was speculating wildly at the end of the podcast about that's ridiculous. But then I read a couple of articles and it turns out that tipping probably is uh, problematic, let's say. So this particular opinion piece that I read in the New York Times by Michelle Alexander, a civil rights advocate and the author of The New Jim Crow, she waited tables going through school and you know she liked her tips too but she became a lawyer and a civil rights lawyer and a, and a, a defender of the downtrodden and she became aware of it's basically it's a it's a, a just a great jim crow trick you know you have this workforce that you don't want to pay. And so you've got this informal system that's based on um, perceived value in, in one, you know, uh, encounter. And, and, you know, tipping is basically a way for people not to pay their employees yeah. at, at the, the bottom line. And, and this, this New York Times piece, uh, it's called... Tipping is a legacy of slavery. Abolish the racist, sexist, subminimum wage now. Um, okay, now subminimum wage, that's different. We, all of our employees get $15 an hour. Yeah, but, uh, but partially because 
we've had this reckoning with this whole thing. Yeah. Well, it, it had been the custom. Yeah. I'm sure in many other places that you worked that you pay, the servers are paid two thirteen an hour, two thirteen an hour, which essentially covers your taxes. Yeah. If you do it right. Yeah. Um, and so you are working for your tips. Or it doesn't quite at times, do you? Yeah. This, this article breaks it down about, especially black women were, were forced into service industry type jobs and, and this like fear of doing and saying the right thing so that you make your money. And, and then women are subjected to sexist and misogynistic comments mm. and behavior and, um, this article referenced this other, this other thing. Um, uh, it was a term, it, this isn't an, an official, uh, yield word shop, but this referenced to uh, a thing that, um, the author points to a book by Seru Jaryaman. I hope I'm saying that right. Her book, Forked, A New Standard for American Dining. And something was mentioned in this article about uh, masculine harassment. Uh, the phenomenon underlying power imbalance is no different from sexual harassment, she said, when workers are reliant on customers' tips. This is like sort of the concept of take your mask off so I can know how much to tip you, <clears throat> which is horrible. Um, let me read this passage from, from this. Tipping had originated in Europe, which is a link that I went and read that article to. <laughs> As noblesse oblige, a did I say that right? Do mm -hmm. I say noblesse oblige? Funny, um, a practice among aristocrats to show favor to servants. But when the idea came to the United States, restaurant corporations mutated the idea of tips from being bonuses provided by aristocrats to their inferiors to becoming the only source of income for black workers they did not want to pay. The Pullman Company which if you don't know anything about the Pullman company, go and read about that kerfuffle. Try to get away with it too, in terms of exploiting labor. But the black porters under the leadership of A. Philip Randolph formed the nation's first black union to be affiliated with the American Federation of Labor and fought and won higher wages with tips on top. Women restaurant workers in states with sub-minimum wage report twice the rate of sexual harassment as women working in restaurants in the seven states that have enacted one fair wage, a full minimum wage with tips on top. The women in, the, the women in these seven states, California, Oregon, Washington, Nevada, Montana, Minnesota, and Alaska, can rely on a wage for their employer and are not as dependent on tips and thus feel empowered to reject the harassment from customers. So... You know, it's also mentioned. So there's this other article about um, tipping aristocrats, tipping their servants. And there was this time before and during the Civil War when tipping was considered deeply un-American because it was something of the old ways. Um, but at that point, slavery was still around, so you could just pay them nothing. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, some famous anti-tippers Leon uh, Trotsky Howard William Taft and Mark Twain uh, all of that that makes a lot of sense to me and I you know like, like I said we don't we we pay our workers a living wage hourly and, and tipping's on top of that and and the way that works that works out you know uh, they make between you know 20 Eight and thirty-two dollars an hour, depending on the week. Um, which, and I think that's you know, I think you could still argue that they're underpaid for all the work that they do, and for you know the fact that they're they're putting up with drunks, you know, for seven hours a shift. Are you looking at me? <laughs> no, not necessarily. Uh, and and and, but not just putting up with drunks, but being nice to these drunks, right? And giving these drunks a safe place to be, and you know, and taking care of, you know, making sure that. 
you know, your uh, highly entitled uh, middle-aged white woman has the exact, you know, kind of bread that she needs and that her sandwich hasn't touched other sandwiches. And Is that a request you know, that you've gotten? Or whatever, you know, whatever the, you know, the folks with, you know, celiac troubles and, you know. Right. Whatever kind of thing needs to happen. Um, like, the, you know, the specific requests you get all day long are just, yeah. uh, are fine. You know, whatever. We try to accommodate everybody. I was at your bar the other day and I ordered a green tea and I said, I want some salsa in this green tea. <laughs> and your barkeep obliged. Nope. Uh, how was it? I don't know if you remember, <laughs> but I didn't actually do that. No, man, Your barkeep Adam did, did that. Yeah. It was and repulsive. Then, yeah, and then he did by all accounts. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> um, but also, like, but I did come up as a bartender, and I do, you know, remember, like, you know, creating relationships with people, you know, based on tips, you know, and they would like, and it was a way for them to like you know, show their appreciation and be yeah. like, I love the atmosphere here. I want this atmosphere to continue. Here's some, you know, I want to help out. Uh, here yeah. is, you know, is this money? And like, I, I, I liked the whole situation. I liked, you know, being able to go someplace. And, you know, when I, when I tipped big, you know, people would know that I was like kind of in the industry with them, you know, as a way of signaling, yeah. you know, that I, that I understood them. And that I was with them, you know. You're talking about the good sides of tipping. Yeah. Yeah. And, me, me, me you know, too. there's, and, you know, it would be tough business model wise for us to pay everybody, all of our employees, $32 an hour, right? You know, the, you'd have your, uh, your costs go up pretty fast. You don't right? want, you don't want tipping to go, you don't want tipping to go away. You want people to just be paid. A livable wage, a living wage tips on top, and then the tips on where top of their that, job you know, that becomes way. worth doing. And that way, you can still go the extra mile. You can still be extra nice to somebody, and that's and uh, and people who appreciate that can you know can tip accordingly. And that's that's uh, to me like all of that is okay, you know. Uh, but if I you know if I saw somebody, if I knew that somebody was trying to like tip extra like i can remember like the guys who like would come in and like you know think they're bothers they're tipping 20 dollars in every week in new york and then you like and then you realize oh you know those are the guys who are going to be like blasting coke in the bathroom mm -hmm. you know down the way they're going to like start trying to bring underage girls in or something oh. you know and be like they're turning you your know, spot into a like a or just, gambling brothel you know type place. just trying thinking that because you know they've been doing that that they can get away with anything oh right <laughs> like the aristocrats in Europe, yeah, the noblesse oblige. And there was, like, I remember, uh, you know, and I oft, often had this problem too. I remember Austin saying he was fond of joking that Schaefer taught me that you can do whatever you want in a taxi cab as long as you tip twenty bucks. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, okay, and that would be like. Really, that was just like smoking cigarettes, or maybe, maybe, uh, or gambling. Maybe going bit. out, going out the back, the back window, and giving Lucas a high five over the cab. Sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, and you know, and it, it it just depended on the uh, on the uh, mood or what kind of person the cabbie was, you know, they, they would often, you'd often have cabs who like cabbies who thought we were hilarious and, you right. know, like, right. <laughs> right. Like you driving, you try to make a connection with your fares. And... I remember once <laughs> I was in a taxi cab with Lizzie and Ben Murphy and the cabbie was kind of flipping through the radio stations with it, with us. And, <laughs> A Faith Hill song came on the radio, and Lizzie was like, "Oh, turn that off!" And he turned that off, and I was like, "Oh, what are you doing?" And uh, I was bloated, and I jumped out of that cab, and there was a cab, an empty cab next to me. I jumped into the cab next to them. We we're in Manhattan at this point, and and I jumped into that empty cab, and I was like, "Put it on one hundred four point three," and he did it. And I was like, "All right, uh, 
let's 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 beat that. And then they pulled out a little bit ahead of us, and I was like, I was like, I'll give you an extra twenty bucks if you can beat that uh beat that other cab across the Williamsburg Bridge. And this cab was into it. He was like, boom. You got you got a cabbie to do a a, a race like the Fast and the Furious. The hammer, yeah. Did he did he Tokyo drift? He was like Tokyo drifted. Boom. We like hit. We're like. And we passed him on the Williamsburg Bridge, uh, at which point I mooned the guy. I mooned him. Oh, oh, good. Yeah, that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that this article is talking about. <laughs> and we got there, and we got to the, you know our local bar, the Abbey in Brooklyn, and I was just laughing so hard, and the cabbie was laughing so hard too. I was like, man, that was the awesomest cab, you know, giving us money. He's like, that was the awesomest cab right ever. And he was like, he said, yes, it was. He said. It was hilarious when you showed them your pants. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Like, yes. Wow. Showed them my pants. <laughs> uh, pants shown. Does that sh- does that mean you're a show pantser? I'm, I'm a <laughs> show pantser, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the time has come, my friend. Do you have a poem ready? I think I do. Good. Because I have to go um, do the little death. Which is I just pooping? Oh, <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. You mean I'm the, kidding? I mean, you, you mean know. the medium-sized death? Well, uh, I'm talking about the vaccine is on my back like a bear. Ah, gotcha. One time, I read this article about people getting addicted to surgery. Oh wow! I've heard. Yeah, I think I read that article too. Actually interesting yeah a, that's a pretty weird little little kink it's a propofol you can't get enough of that propofol i don't know why i brought that up let's do the poem ada lamon month continues a month u.s poet i remember the carrots by ada lamon i haven't given up on trying to live a good life a really good one even sitting in the kitchen in kentucky Imagining how agreeable I'll be, the advance of fulfillment and of desire, all these needs met, then unmet again. When I was a kid, I was excited by carrots, their spidery neon tops in the garden's plot, and so I ripped them all out. I broke the new roots and carried them like a prize to my father, who scolded me rightly for killing his whole crop. I loved them, my own bright dead things. I'm 35. And remember all that I've done wrong. Yesterday I was nice, but in truth I resented the contentment of the field. Why must we practice this surrender? What I mean is, there are days I still want to kill the carrots because I can. Is she talking to me? I think. Uh, or is she talking to everybody? I definitely remember having a little a little carrot garden and picking them way too early. <laughs> They were so sweet and good. And I was like, that was a satisfying thing. My mom was like, why did you do that? And I was like, well, they were good. You know, I enjoyed the experience. They were good. <laughs> Just like this podcast. Picking carrots with eight. Did you notice that that was when she referred to them as bright dead things? That's the title of the collection. Too. Oh, right. Huh. Bright dead things. It refers to carrots. Who would have thought? Who knew? Yeah. It's not like we know anything, really. (laughs) I think what we've learned about starting our own podcast is that we know shit about shit. We're slowly learning more things. It's good. It's good. All right. Well, we love you all. And, um, you know, if we survive to record another day, we hope you listen. Tell your friends about us. Tell us about you. Lakin, Casey, want to hear from you guys. Get at us. Uh, Feedback at onemagicalhour.com. We haven't said that in a long time. We really haven't, have we? We have an email address, feedback at onemagicalhour.com. That we do. Okay. And we know this to be true, that the poorer the choices, the sweeter the wine. Mm-hmm.